Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. All these girls gonna be in the league? Hello, gorgeous. Female fight club. All men must die, but we are not men. Damn it, Kristen! What do you think happened to Karen? Lauren. Girl, her name is Kimberly. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 31 of Citizen Dame, a podcast where a lovely roundtable of female critics discuss everything from garbage men to whether movies just don't understand women or humans or what a human is. I, I have a lot of thoughts about a certain movie today. Um, but as always, I am Kristen Lopez here with the wonderful Karen Peterson. Hi. Lauren Humphreys Brooks. Hello. And Kimberly Pierce. Hello. So, a lot happened this week. Uh, Some of it good, some of it, why are people allowed to speak words? Um, So let's jump into, well, you know what, it's festival season. So let's jump into a little Cannes news. It's bad enough that Netflix will not be at Cannes, but you know who will be? Lars von Trier. Um, yeah, you might remember Lars von Trier was banned. I don't remember the exact history. Does anybody know it better than I do? Uh, something about in 2011, he said something about being a Nazi. Yeah, or did he call... He talked about being sympathetic to Hitler. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, so just general, like, Lars von Trier douchiness. Gotcha, (laughs) okay. great thing to say in France. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very intelligent. In, like, the same room with some Holocaust survivors. Oh, so... (laughs) Oh, thought that one through, did he? (laughs) So why after that didn't he just, like, beat handicapped children or something? I mean, just, like, go for broke. Anyway... So Lars von Trier um, was supposedly banned um, back in 2011 during a press conference. That's that's right. He made those comments at a press conference with recording. Um, So he was banned then, but supposedly he's back on the lineup because he has a movie. Uh, They announced that they're going to screen his film out of competition. His film's called The House Jack Built. So, I guess we've, I, I mean, the French forgave him, I guess. Um, you know, it, it's supposed to have um, overturned the status that, uh, about, you know, Tr- Launcher being banned there. Um, but it also puts it into stark relief because this year there's going to be a female-dominated jury on, at Cannes led by Kate Blanchett. And supposedly there was this rumor going around that she refused to consider Von Trier's film, but they're saying that that's not true. And this is also coming at a time when Cannes is getting a, a little flack for having only three films directed by women in their notoriously male-driven festival. So I guess what I'm asking is, why does Cannes suck so much when it comes to this thoughts? Well, I think one of the other issues with Von Trier is that uh, he has been kind of wrapped up into this me into the Me Too issues because of when what Bjork said about about what what was it a director a Danish director that she had worked with and there's only one Danish director that she had worked with and it was about it's a long him. list of one yeah <laughs> it was it, it was and it was basically like that he had been that he had harassed her that um, he had been very abusive on set which is kind of we kind of already knew that a little bit about Von Trier, but it's this is so Ken's decision is coming at a time when we're we're talking about abusive male directors, we're talking about abusive men in the film industry, and they're just like, oh, by the way, we're gonna lift Von Trier's uh, ban this year for this particular year. 
Sounds like the boys club protecting itself. Well, yeah, absolutely. And then you've got you've got IndieWire, which needs to get a serious grip. I'm sorry to, to like shout out at them, but seriously, talking about how well, well they can still give a female. You know, it wouldn't be surprising if they gave a female director the Palme d'Or or um, really rewarded female films this year. And it's like, okay, there are three female directors in competition this year. And you're talking about a, a heavily um, female jury. So it's already being set up as this political, uh, this, this political thing. This is about political correctness and this is and not about the art that these women produce in a film festival that is constantly being uh, um, criticized for not promoting female art. It's just, it's an absolute disaster. Like, I can't believe that this is a conversation. Well, this is your reminder <laughs> that none of us are going to Cannes because we can't afford it. I've also heard it's not handicap friendly. And yeah, Netflix is like- Why does Cannes suck? <laughs> Netflix isn't cool for Cannes, but making public comments about supporting Nazis is. I'm just, great PR, great PR guys. Um, so moving on, this was also a really bad uh, weekend for panels. Um, and I think we all agree, panels are um, a, a great thing if you get the right people moderating and the right people asking questions. We didn't have this on the agenda, but did anybody else see that delightful video of the guy trying to pitch his script to Jonathan Nolan at the Westworld panel? <laughs> no. I didn't see the video, but I heard all about yeah, it. Yeah, audience members, if you ever happen to be at a Q&A where they say, we'll take questions from you guys, A, never start with, I have a comment, not necessarily a question, and B, not the time to try to pitch your script. And C, when you know you've lost the room, just say thank you and sit down. Don't continue to ramble about it for about 10 minutes. She's like, not you know helpful. that scene in Disaster Artist where it shows <laughs> Tommy approaching Judd Apatow in a restaurant <laughs> and trying yes. to, like, that's not how it's done, and look at what it does. It just pisses off Apatow. Like, that's what you're doing to the entire room when you do that in a Q&A. Yeah. You don't want to be that start with a W or an H, not an I. And they end with a question mark. <laughs> yes. <laughs> not a period. Yes. Um, so at, at Tribeca this week, um, there was a uh, panel honoring the 35th anniversary of um, Scarface, the De Palma version, in case you are one of those people that does not realize that that version is already a remake. Uh, but they had uh, the cast there, including Al Pacino and Michelle Pfeiffer. And supposedly what happened was, is there were a couple comments discussing Michelle Pfeiffer's weight. And then the moderator well, hold actually- Hold on, hold on, hold on. The very first question was that. Right. That's what I heard. Right. Yeah. And I, that's what I, I, well, I heard that they were discussing it long after the question had been said. I don't know. I wasn't there. Um, yeah, but my, my understanding- There's video of that too, so. My understanding was that the, that it was, um, basically the moderator had been speaking to the men almost exclusively. And yes. then the one there and only question he directed at Michelle Pfeiffer was, how much did you weigh? And not only was it about his her weight, he couched it as being a concerned parent of a daughter. <laughs> Men, like, what the when hell you're does that have to do saying with things to women, what have we what have we taught you on this podcast? You do not have to be empathetic to women just because you know a woman. Guess what? We all know a woman. 
it's just it's just not a way to start a question most um, of us have mothers so yes you know. yes what does john oliver say 100 percent of us have been born from women so you know it, it we all know a woman um but yeah this was and the guy got booed um rightfully so and you know it's just it's laughable to me that a moderating a panel like that it's kind of a prestigious assignment and most i see a lot of male moderators um more so than women even though i do Mm -hmm. see a lot of women moderating panels but like that's your question like you had to know he the guy had to know that that was not going to go over well and i love the photos i think it was jason bailey took pictures um of michelle pfeiffer's face when she got asked that question and it's just like are you fucking kidding me it's great it is fantastic Mm -hmm. and to to give Michelle Pfeiffer credit, she turned it around and, and began talking about how, you know, she was trying to play this character. She basically stopped eating, that she, she was trying to play this character as being really beaten down by this lifestyle and everything. And being so she, a cocaine addict. And, yeah, yeah, so she at least tried to turn it around and be like, yes, this this was a, this was a part of my performance and everything. But at the same time, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's an offensive question. And you've got, you've got this woman who has is a force uh, an acting force in hollywood and that's the question that you ask her about this film like god (laughs) what i think i think it was jamie rigetti um who who brought up something that i've always been really irritated by this double standard of method acting that men can go around and be assholes and send their co-stars you know use condoms and stuff and it's like oh they're method you know they're method but Michelle Pfeiffer goes on, you know, to discuss that, in a way, she was a method actress during this role, and they boil it down to her appearance. Um, I think... Well, a one. My my point was done. (laughs) Okay. Well, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but um, the thing is, like, look at Christian Bale, and he gets... He gets praised by a lot of people for his mm-hmm. commitment in the way that he just goes up and down the scale as far as like he dropped down to 120 pounds for the machinist mm-hmm. and then immediately put on 80 pounds of solid muscle for Batman Begins. And, you know, and people are just like, wow, look at his commitment to his work. And when a woman does something like that, they just get all, they fall over themselves with concern for her. Or you go the exact well, opposite, which, like, Charlize um, Theron with, with Monster or something, where they're like, oh, how how hard was it? How challenging was it for you to be ugly? Like, it always right. boils down to appearance. Always. Yeah. I, I remember there was an interview with Anne Hathaway. I think it was on the Today Show or one of those shows um, back when she did uh, Les Miserables. And she was being asked about what diet did she go on? to lose all of the weight um, to play her part. And one, and she just got this look on her face and she, looked, she said, I don't want to say because I'm supposed to look like I'm dying. And right. that's the point. I don't want to encourage people to go on a diet to look like this because I'm supposed to be very sick. Emaciated prostitute chic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, and she was very, but it was that, that same kind of attitude of like, you know, oh, how how did how did you get your body to look like that? It's like this is not a positive thing, and you don't see someone saying that to to Christian Bale, being like, "Man, I really want that physique you had in The Machinist." Right. Uh, it's like, no, you don't. You absolutely don't because you're you're you look like you're ill. That's the point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, and this just 
these Q&As, going back to this panel and this moderator, these Q&As, it's like, I'm glad that the audience reacted the way they did, but if you continue watching the video and reading the comments that people were making that were there, like, he was trying to double down on it. He's like, oh, you don't understand the point I'm trying to make. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he just kept going. And we see these kinds of things happen at panels all the time because they're being led by people who just don't even know that what they're doing is wrong because they're so, so sexist and misogynist and whatever. And it's like, this is why we need more inclusion in who's running these panels, too. You know, yeah. we need more... We need more diverse voices who actually care about the films and about the people that are in them and aren't just there to like make their stupid little points or just be there like more often it's to get their faces in front of an audience and show oh look at how cool I am I'm hanging out with Al Pacino and Michelle Pfeiffer you know meanwhile I should be the one that gets to hang out with Al with Al Pacino and Michelle Pfeiffer like seriously and I wouldn't <laughs> exactly. ask them stupid ass questions about weight or appearance i might ask al pacino about that horrible accent but that's <laughs> fair enough would actually fair. do our research yes exactly exactly i'd be like you know it's a remake right like you knew there was an original please say yes um like, Ryan, did you know this was a remake <laughs> be like no i would just ask the audience who here th knew this was a remake? I guarantee you, nobody's hand would go up because they would not. Know. <laughs> the I wouldn't say nobody. The original's you really good too. They're showing at the TCM Film Festival this year. A Tribeca crowd might be a bit savvier than certain other ones, but <laughs> be like, "Yay, my people!" Um, moving, <laughs> moving right along. I'm gonna leave the the last thing for last because, like. That was super interesting. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> so, remember last week when we talked about Kenneth Lonergan coming to the defense of Casey Affleck and we said, what does Casey have on everybody? I asked the same question about Woody Allen. Actually, I know what Woody Allen has on everybody. I mean, the man's career is long enough that, like, he probably knows some shit. So, Javier Bardem was speaking with a French publication... I'm assuming they asked him a question. I'm hoping he didn't just volunteer this information like word vomit. Um, but he said that he is, quote, absolutely not ashamed to have worked with Woody Allen back on the 2008 film Vicky Cristina Barcelona. He says, quote, if there was evidence that Woody Allen was guilty, then yes, I would have stopped working with him. But I have doubts. Oh my God. Javier. Who did you hurt? That's all I got. That's all I got. I can't. He hurt me. That's who he, he hurt. He hurt a lot of uh, women with this. And then and then he goes home. Well, he's married to Penelope Cruz, right? Uh, I hope yeah. she beat the shit and out of him. Not that I condone and she's like, abuse. She's like, we need to talk. <laughs> <laughs> we need to have a conversation, honey. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so... Just because you have an opinion, men, you don't need to give it. Oh, well, the thing is, like, in this case, I mean, I don't I don't really know. I'm wondering, was there more that he said that it just got boiled down to this sentence? No, I am. He, don't worry, he, I'm not about to defend Javier Bardem. Really, he further, but... Well, I will say, he further went on to say, quote, I am very shocked by the sudden treatment. Judgments in the states of New York and Connecticut found him innocent. The legal situation today is the same as in 2007. That yeah, what, makes a what difference. What I think is that there is a certain degree of people having to just kind of compartmentalize things and they convince themselves of certain things because they don't want to have to admit. Like in this case, I'm guessing probably he's just had to look at the 
quote-unquote facts, well, not quote-unquote facts, but like the actual, okay, this is what these court cases found, and then he's just decided to just agree with that and accept that as, okay, this is the truth then. If they can't find him guilty of anything, then there's nothing for me to worry about, and so I'm just going to move on with my life and not think about it. So it's instead of actually you know being analytical and looking at the entire scope of everything that happened look at the fact that these kinds of cases are almost impossible to prosecute years later and actually you know reason it out yeah Having, you know, does that make sense yes yeah, and I, w- I would i would say i'm sure javier bardem has an hbo go account i'm i'm guessing he has access to hbo um but having just watched the documentary i am evidence last night about the backlog of rape kids and how hard it is to prosecute a rape case even when you have fucking dna on file yeah dude maybe educate yourself um watch that like you're you're javier bardem you can afford net or hbo just spend 90 minutes of your time and then maybe you won't make asinine statements and make me want to punch you in your face. Just a thought. Well, isn't he a father of a daughter? Apparently he <laughs> don't give a shit about his kids. I'm, I mean, I'm guessing. If men only care when they have their children, um, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe he's a shitty dad. I don't know. I can make that statement. There's no evidence of it. <laughs> well, well, but it, go, it does go back to the Kenneth Lonergan thing that you're willing to say, okay, yes, de- definitely these these other men that I didn't that I don't know or that I haven't worked with or that I'm not really close to, um, they're definitely guilty. But not this guy, not my friend, not the guy that you know I had a good experience with. And it, it is like you're saying, uh, Karen, that compartmentalization of saying like, okay, um, yes, all of these people, but no, not this one because he's because I like him. Yeah. And, and that's very, you know, that it's not excusable, but it's also very common uh, from both men and women. And we've seen that particularly with Woody Allen because so many big Hollywood stars have worked with him and probably a lot of them have had very good experiences with him. So to then turn around and be like, oh, by the way, he's a pedophile. By the way, he's, he, you know, harassed and abused his daughter. That's, that's a hard thing to then reconcile. So I, I get it, but it, that's also the point at which you need to begin you need to actually believe women right i agree so moving on from uh asinine statements to sex trafficking yeah we're just hitting all the horrific crimes in the world today um so so allison mack was on smallville um she had a, a key role and then she just kind of dropped off the map and people wanted to know what happened to her well you know what happened to her cults <laughs> cults happened to her um i'm not laughing because it's funny i'm laughing because it's weird (laughs) so um apparently she was indicted and arrested on charges of sex trafficking sex trafficking conspiracy and conspiracy to commit forced labor um for facilitating a self-help cult where women were branded and coerced into having sex um, and that's, those are charges that could give her 15 years to life in prison if she's convicted. Um, so Allison Mack was part of this cult called Nexium, which is spelled stupid. Oh, is but, that how you say that? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it sounds like the heartburn medication. Um, yeah. I was trying to figure out what Roman numerals that added up yeah. to, but I was... Them. <laughs> yeah, it's Nexium. Um, so yeah, they, they named themselves after a heartburn med. Um, so yay, like they're really tight with whatever god they pray to um so which apparently is led by a guy named keith rainier who 
I, I don't really know what their religion is or what their philosophy is. Um, it just kind of seems like they talk a lot about, like, helping people's minds. And, again, it's a cult, so, like, they they really don't need to have an ideology. Um, but supposedly Allison Mack um, was part of this pyramid scheme where they would recruit women into an all-female group, they, which they call a sorority. You know, man created this. Um, that would help with women's empowerment. So courses cost thousands of dollars, and people at the top had to get people um, on the bottom. Oh, they to... have a website. They're going to put you on a list now, Karen. <laughs> um, Don't dig too deep. She'll, they'll be knocking at your door. Yes. And supposedly women were actually held down and branded by nurses in their pelvic areas with his initials that also, looking at a certain angle, are Allison Mack's initials. It's fucking weird, okay? Um, so, and of course these women were, were forced to have sex with the leader as well as uh, some of his friends. She received compensation for this alleged, all of this is alleged. This guy was arrested back in March. Um, there were supposedly as many as 50 in, in this sorority. I call it a harem. Um, and yeah, it is just goddamn weird. Um, like, does it say anything about what they believe in or what this is, the, what, what are oh, the benefits? Nexium yes. <laughs> is a community guided by humanitarian principles that seek to empower people and answer important questions about what it means to be human. The Nexium philosophy is expressed through a series of companies and initiatives all of which were designed to broaden the way we currently think about problems and to help create solutions for a kinder, more sustainable, ethical world. So I'm guessing if you couldn't afford to be audited through the Scientology Center, you ended up here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so dear. yeah, this is your oh. reminder that women can also be horrible garbage people. Um, and... This is what happens to some of your favorite people from back in the day. They don't have a lot to do with their time, and so they join a cult. Um, it's it's hard to break out of a CW show. Didn't, like, somebody was talking <laughs> about, they were talking about this in relation to it, but didn't Andrew Keegan start a cult, too? Oh, did he? Is yeah, that he, did? he founded oh. his own religion or something. Oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if this is the case, then I say keep Smallville, I mean, uh... Um, supernatural on forever because yes. we see Jensen Ackles and what's oh, his face go down this is, road. That <laughs> At this rate, the be... president of CW has said it would take a lot for that to get cancelled. <laughs> but you all know that if anybody was going to start a cult, it would be those two guys and it would have millions of people. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. So this Sam is just... and Dean will be doing that until they're 80. Mm -hmm. This is just my reminder. I am very fascinated with cults, but I'm also very upset there are not enough female-led cults. Okay, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I think women should be running cults just as much as men. That's all no, I'm saying. No, but I think that this is a good time to yeah. remind everyone that Leah Remini has is expanding the reach of her Scientology show into looking at all sorts of different cults, and it's uh, it's going to be fascinating. It'll be oh, out toward the I end of summer, I may have to watch the show then, because... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, if... her, her Scientology show, Aftermath, is fascinating. It's so good. But, yeah, she decided she really, because of everything that she's uncovered through Scientology, she wants to expand that into looking at just 
like she's so many people that are not part of Scientology that are part of these other cults have contacted her. And so she's decided to just go after everybody, basically. Yeah, this is your reminder. Go on Netflix, watch all six episodes of Wild Wild Country. It's really, really good. Yes. Um, and that if anybody needs an expert on Jim Jones, I've read a lot of books. So I'm kind of like way too knowledgeable about people's temple. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay, so moving on to some news. Um, you know, let's talk about Ampus because that just seems like a natural progression from sex trafficking. Um, I don't really know. <laughs> and so, garbage people. Exactly. I don't really know what people were talking about with this story. Who is well better versed in this than I am? Which one are you talking about? The, the Ampus Bill thing. Mechanic yeah, story? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Bill Mechanic was a member of the Board of Governors. He, uh, I'm trying to remember what he used to do um, in the biz, but anyway, he's a member of the Board of Governors. He had once quit the Board of Governors, like in 2009 or something, and then he decided to come back. Well, because of the the whole thing with, um, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on the president, John Bailey, because of the accusations that came out against him, Bill Mechanic decided, you know what, I am done. I'm leaving the Board of Governors again. And not because John Bailey was was exonerated and reinstated, or not not reinstated, never went anywhere, but because not, Bill Mechanic's not leaving because nothing happened to John Bailey. He's leaving because anybody found out about the accusations against John Bailey. It's really fun. Um, <laughs> he also is upset about the netflix thing he took a swipe at um he says the oscar broadcast is quote long and boring right yeah mm -hmm. it's long but i would not say it's boring um let's see he said i haven't had any real impacts now it's time to leave i feel i have failed the organization i feel i feel we have failed the organization he's mad about the fact that the museum is over budget and is taking longer than they planned um, he just has a lot of feelings. Am I? <laughs> I was going to say, does He's anyone very else feel? He does, does anyone um, else feel this is like Buddy the Elf's goodbye note? I'm sorry I ruined your lives and that I stuffed three cookies into the 11, VCR. 11 oh, that's right. There's 11 cookies. <laughs> I've seen that movie way too many times. <laughs> Although I maintain that you can't see it too many times. But anyway, um, yeah, no, I'm trying to, there's one particular quote I'm trying to find from him that I'm just like, oh, good job, buddy. Good job. Um, oh, many of the problems I'm talking about come not from malfeasance, but rather from the silence of too many governors. A vocal few people are insistent that the problems are not really problems or would be too damaging to the Academy to admit. Not facing your problems means you are not addressing those issues. And guess what? Problems don't go away. They simmer under the surface and, if anything, get worse. Which sounds like, wow, that's a great statement. Except for when you put it into the context of this letter, he's talking about the fact that the, he feels the Academy has been too reactionary. And, like, as soon as Oscar So White started trending, they were like, well, we need to do something to fix our diversity problem. He's mad about that. He didn't want them to fix the diversity problem because he feels like it's affirmative action, essentially. He didn't use those words, but that's that's what he's insinuating in his letter. And so he's, he's saying, like, well, the problem is that those of us who disagree with these types of decisions are not speaking up about it. Poor baby. Oh, I know. <laughs> oh, well, and then well. to make it worse, I think, personally, I think, or at least just to double down on this situation, <laughs> the Academy 
what they do when there's a vacancy on the board of governors is that they go to the next to the runner up to that position whoever was next in line and so oh guess what they were able to replace the white old guy with a white old guy so good job guys. we could have awesome. had laura dern we could have had laura dern oh, i hate people <laughs> okay so moving on uh, netflix we knew it wasn't gonna be a day that ends in y without some netflix talk right well netflix <laughs> is a little upset that, you know, everybody's grousing about what they can and can't screen their movies on and, you know, how people apparently can't go to the theater anymore. I, I guess you have to choose. So Netflix is looking into buying or working with um, Mark Cuban's Landmark Theaters. Um, so they actually considered acquiring it, but they recently backed off the idea um, they decided not to pursue it because they thought the sale price for Landmark was too high. But they want to buy a theater chain to show their movies in. Now, I don't know how much film history you all know, but I was sitting there thinking, wait a minute, didn't we do this already yeah. um, back in? Let me give you the time because we're going to go back, 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 back uh, to 1948. When United States v. Paramount Pictures, otherwise known as the Paramount Decision, where back in the day when movies were made, they did something called vertical integration, which was Paramount could make the movies, they owned the movies, and they also showed the movies in theaters that they themselves owned. So if you wanted to go see a Paramount movie, you had to go to a Paramount theater. If you wanted to go see an MGM movie, you had to go to a theater that MGM owned. So they owned every facet of production that was considered a monopoly <laughs> and rightfully so so the paramount decision forced studios to have to sell theaters that they owned and that's why you can now go see to your local regal and see movies with any the uh studio behind the movie so how is this not illegal okay well here first of all let's let's just back up a little bit on the history with netflix because once they decided, like, once they moved from being strictly a service to provide films from other people, just a means of watching them, and decided to get into distribution uh, and also production, um, what happened was, because of their day-and-date release plan, a lot of theaters don't want to show Netflix movies because... They're, they know that that's not going to be a moneymaker for them. So what's the incentive for the theaters to show Netflix movies? And then, because they're not getting into theaters, then they're not eligible for Oscars. And so it's this whole, like, just everybody's running around in circles. And so I think this is where Netflix is coming from. Well, okay, if we just buy a couple of theaters, then we can make sure that our movies show in the theaters, and then we're eligible for awards. Ugh, I'm so tired. I'm so tired of this whole thing. It's frustrating. And I come back to every time when people are talking about Netflix and Academy Awards, I come back to if you don't like the way Netflix is doing things, then change the rules for the Oscars. Well, they, so... they, don't, they don't want to. They, they yeah. want to... I, I mean, that, all of the, this resistance to, net, to Netflix specifically, but to streaming in general... Um, does come down to the fact that there are a lot of people that for both for reasons of money and for reasons of um i th i think for reasons of prejudice in in its own way um mm -hmm. really want to preserve what 
cinema and what film looks like and has looked like for many years and it's like they, they don't know what to do with streaming they don't know how to deal with a company not like netflix and netflix you know i th there's this there's this whole thing about oh netflix is a disruptor and things like that it's like no not really they're a company that are in it to make money and right. they want their films to be shown and they want people to see their films in whatever way possible in order for them to make money which is true for every other studio it's true for every theater chain everybody want that's what they want they don't really care about art they do care about making money and whatever is going to make the money is something that they want to pursue um so this this whole like uh trying to trying to arbitrate you know this is cinema and this isn't this is oscar worthy and this isn't really just becomes protectionism uh and they're, they're the the academy and festivals like can etc they're trying to defend some concept of cinema and some concepts of um distribution that is very quickly becoming passe why can't we all just get along i mean we all i just i just went to a movie theater yesterday i stream too we all do all of it it this this discussion is getting so annoying i do want to ask the question though and i know i'm showing my age with this question just because you know the answer seems to be different depending on who you talk to but um Honestly, though, to you guys, what do you see as the difference between a movie that goes straight to Netflix and a movie that was made for TV like HBO or something like that? So I, I've, I've had this conversation with, with people, and apparently you're not supposed to say if it's feature length, it counts. Um, I would also say at the same time, if it's seven hours and it doesn't demand that you require one sitting, it's TV. Um, but... I mean, my, my whole thing is is that movies that premiere at a festival that just get happen to that happen to be bought by a television studio. I I mean, they won't campaign it for Oscars. I don't see any reason though why they couldn't. That's a controversial opinion, but I'm throwing it out there. Like, um, great example is HBO bought what is it, the Laura Dern movie The Tale, right? And everybody said, Oh, that's that shoots its Oscar chances. Technically, just because HBO is associated as a TV network, we assume that they're going to campaign it for Emmys, which is fine. It's probably far easier to get it an Emmy than it would be an Oscar. But I think a lot of this is just ingrained in what we know. You know, no one's ever thought to change the system. So we just are complacent with it. I honestly, yeah. before I die, I would love HBO to try to like be like, you know what, fuck this. We're going to campaign this for Oscars and just if we fail, we fail. But it would be really cool to do. Um, well, so and I think that's my point. I think like if Netflix can campaign Mudbound, why can't HBO campaign exactly. something like They can, yeah, but they exactly. won't. They're not expected to. Yeah, it, it's the lines between what is, what is television, whatever that means, uh, and what is film are becoming increasingly blurred and it's because of things mm -hmm. like streaming and it's because of what you're saying it's because of hbo it's because of netflix it's because of amazon you know so are we saying that films that film is something that is shown in a movie theater well eventually that's not going i mean already that's not really going to be adequate because there are so many companies that are primarily showing their films on and are making films that are intended for streaming um are those then not films because they're intended for me to stream them via an, a, a company 
you know, no, I, I wouldn't say so. You know, that was one of the that was one of the issues that um, people were talking about. People were trying to label Twin Peaks, the the Twin Peaks uh, return series, as film. Yeah, and it's and I I understand both arguments. I don't think that the Twin Peaks series is film, but it does kind of emphasize how these things are becoming intertwined. Um, and and there's still this attitude of if it's shown on a small screen it is somehow lesser if we cannot label it as a film we need right. to we're, we're we need to find different language we need to develop our language um you know probably that is beginning to happen in academe and it's not happening as much in pop culture but we really do need to develop it because we have to find a different way to talk about the what kind of cinema is being produced and, and my whole argument too is some of this is just common sense and I don't think we want to acknowledge that like I still am really burned over the fact that the OJ Simpson documentary the series won best documentary at the Oscars that year which was Why? produced by ESPN wasn't produced it? by ESPN which is shown in, <laughs> shown in one theater for Oscar consideration Nobody well, watched that movie. It was it got the Oscar run. I don't know how many theaters it showed in, but it got the Oscar qualifying run, is what I mean. Um, yeah. And nobody was. Most audiences saw that in over however many days or weeks on television. Nobody is expected to sit down for eight hours or however long that movie is um, and watch it. Same with like something like Wild Wild Country. They showed it, I think, at south by or one of the festivals as one as one long six hour movie but nobody is expected to sit for six hours and watch that it is a series so and and of course the oscars knew this because they changed the rules i think this year to say that multi-series events like that like oj would not have been nominated they're officially disqualified now well that's real fucking great tell that to ava duvernay who deserved the damn oscar for 13th Um, That's what I was going to say, too, though. Not only was she also nominated for that, but that's another weird situation because then her documentary, 13th, went to Netflix and was nominated for an Emmy. Right, right. So it was nominated for an Oscar and for an Emmy. Yeah, we need to... They just need to let me sit down with the rules and rewrite them myself. I would fix this (laughs) 10 minutes. And that's why I get confused. These environments are changing so fast. And like we just showed, was it two stories ago, the arts and sciences, they, parts of this industry are so reactionary. They are struggling to keep up. And, you know, in most cases, they don't want to keep up. They don't want to change these rules. I mean, I know I have some pre-associated bias, you know, like made-for-TV movie. You automatically have some prejudice against that. But HBO, it's the discussions of HBO, they have been on the forefront of blurring that cinematic TV line. I mean, just look at an episode of Game of Thrones. The budgets that they give their television series, the time they give them to produce. I think Westworld coming up this Sunday is going to be... It's over an hour plus, and I've been watching some movies on Filmstruck that are less than that. So they put so much into these TV series. These are like little films. Yeah, you know, I I have to say just at a positive level, this is a really exciting time to be studying this stuff. It's a really exciting time to be talking about it because there is so much interaction going on. You know, even when I was in film school, uh, whatever that was now, oh my God, almost 10 years ago, um, 
when when we were talking, you know, at that point we were still talking about new media and talking about YouTube videos and stuff like that. It has changed rapidly and in a, such an interesting way. And in talking about what's television and what's film and how do we categorize these things and the fact that these categories are being exploded in a lot of ways, that's really cool. There's a, there's a lot of stuff to deal with and to talk about. And it's opening up opportunities to, it's also opening up opportunities to people that are not within the industry that are not um, establishment that are not primarily white men um, yeah I just wanted to quote Lexi Alexander was like kind of weighed in on this conversation uh, early I think it was yesterday last night um, she said film people who don't understand why some uh, film people who don't understand why some people defend Netflix have probably never read a study on P&A and distribution for movies made by white men versus movies made by female and POC filmmakers. Hint, we don't get any. So frankly, the playing field equalizes when nobody gets it. So the whole point that she's, that she's making that a number of people have been making is that things like Netflix, and you don't want to raise up Netflix as the savior of cinema, they're not, but things like Netflix and other streaming companies are giving opportunities to people that are historically just edged out because they can't get into the industry, they can't get into the establishment and the fact that we're seeing so much reaction against this kind of says some of the fears of the establishment we don't know what to do and we're, we want to keep these other people outside of, of what we're categorizing as art what we're categorizing as film what we're putting up for awards and I think it's very indicative that two of Netflix's most staunch supporters and defenders have been two women of color female directors Anyways. yes that's that's very yeah that's a great point so moving on uh we also have a woman of color in the star wars universe uh ava duvernay announced that victoria mahoney is going to be uh second unit director for star wars uh episode nine that jj abrams is working on right now which makes her the first black director technically to join the star wars universe also a female so yay Woohoo! i mean it's baby steps it's you know we're getting there <laughs> I'm excited for her, and I hope this leads to actual, like, first unit directors of color and women. Yay! I'm hoping. Good job. Congratulations, Victoria Mahoney. Yay! Moving on! Uh, The next bit we have is, this was actually something that was supposed to be included last week, and I forgot, Um, but it's been announced that James McAvoy and Bill Hader are going to join uh, it too. Um, it says that James McAvoy's in talks to play the lead character of Adult Bill, um, who is played by Jaden Lieber in the first film, and Bill Hader is supposed to take on the role of Richie, um, who was played by Finn Wolfhard in the previous movie, and of course they'll join Jessica Chastain in the role of Beverly. Um, Andy Muschietti is going to be back to direct and it comes out uh, next September, so... I'm super excited that they're going to have a $300 million budget for this movie. <laughs> the Seriously? That That's the budget? <laughs> no, I don't know. But I'm just with the names that are coming out. It's like, oh, <laughs> these, are not, some force these are not low-rent actors, yeah. so... Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely excited. I like both of them. Um, I think Hater was actually who one of the kids recommended to be in the film 
Yeah, I think Finn Wolfhard said that he wanted Bill Hader to play the adult version of him. So, so it, it seems like we're just listening to the kids, which I'm cool with. Um, so that leads us to a question from Matt St. Clair. He said, who would your casting picks be for the remaining members of the Losers Club? So that's um, the, the characters of Eddie, Mike, and Ben. So, and Stanley. <laughs> And Stanley. Oh, and Stan. Yeah. Poor Stan. Nobody remembers Stan. Everybody forgets Stan. about him. <laughs> Everybody forgets about him, rightfully so. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think of who who's the right age, because they would all need to be about 40, correct? Um, I would like to nominate Sterling K. Brown to play Mike. You know, I was actually going to say that. <laughs> That's what I was thinking, too. I was thinking more like like Chiwetel Ejiofor. Is that, is that too... I think that would work. It could. Could. I know he's not Sterling K. Brown, Karen, but you know. <laughs> exactly. I, well, I mean, really, the truth is that Sterling K. Brown just needs to be in everything for the rest of time. But <laughs> I'm not going to disagree. I say that about certain other people. Um. So yeah. Um. For for um Eddie, because I love Eddie. He's my favorite character in the movie. Um. I don't even know. Who could we just get this kid and say that he never grew up and he stayed perpetually young and <laughs> he's adorable forever? He's my favorite. Um, I'm gosh. trying to think. Like, who's kind of a, a who could be a hypochondriac? Yeah. Like, a but little... also like really good with the one-liners. Yeah. That's um, is he a bit Ryan Reynolds? No. Yeah. Um. Actually. Like, no, I see that. that would be funny. <laughs> I think it would be. Yeah, actually, I, th- I yeah, that's a good call, Kim. I, I could totally see Ryan Reynolds. Doing I that. have no better suggestion, but I will think of one, and it will not be Ryan Reynolds. Um, <laughs> yeah. So then the other two, Stanley. Someone said Hiddleston because of the hair. Oh, that would be cute. <laughs> <laughs> I could kind of see that. Um, it just showed my bias, but oh. <laughs> and then you have Ben. I, I, is Ben supposed to have like gotten like? What's the oh, transition yeah. here? Does he get hot? I, I haven't read the book. Yeah, Ben. Well, in, yes, Ben. In yeah, the TV, well, in the TV, because the TV movie, he grows into John Ritter. Wow, yeah. that's a three sixty. Um, okay. <laughs> well, but yeah, but that's the point. Like he does, he does grow into himself. He does get get really active and fit and he is much he's very cute as an adult is the intention so chris evans really <laughs> god we're just casting I'm avengers left here, and right here <laughs> chris hemsworth no let's just yeah i was thinking like matt damon i, I is that weird no not I, I can see, oh my I can god see okay well like we put damon. ryan reynolds in this thing so it's, <laughs> Yeah, actually, yeah, I could see that. Demon. <laughs> He'd be a bit but old, though, wouldn't he? He needs to. Yeah, he was probably too old. I, that's what I was saying. Like, how old are they supposed to be? Thirty-seven. Thirty-seven. Okay, well, Matt Damon could pass for thirty-seven. It's not like we're getting Army Hammer in here. Oh my God, <laughs> we should get Army Hammer in this. Um, he can play. You know who Army Hammer should play? The bad guy. Ooh. You know oh, what, yeah. Karen? No, Kim. I mean, Kristen. I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm saying that would be a really fun twist because it he's always playing a very range. specific character. Exactly. I, I, I don't su- think he could pull it off, but it would be interesting. I support any. See, I was giving him credit. <laughs> I support casting any and all of my boys in this movie. Okay, with with a couple exceptions of certain people that are a mark of terrible quality. 
But so yeah, Henry, so, Henry Bauer will be played by Army Hammer. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I would be so excited, but then I would just be really sad because I'd be like, "You're gonna die horribly." I know it. I can feel it. Okay, it, it is pretty brutal. Yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna say more, but yeah. No, we just we just need to get a better Eddie for our fan casting. Um, cause yeah, he's he's adorable. I I think Ryan Reynolds is a good choice. No, if I I would have said Oscar Isaac, but he can't be funny, so. And he's In- too short. Intentionally funny. You know, you sound like my mom, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. I say that as someone who loves Oscar Isaac and whose favorite person is Tom Cruise. So, well, as someone who loves Oscar Isaac, I'm inclined Ooh, to agree. Ooh, who with can you. we get Tom Cruise to play? Oh my God! Moving on. <laughs> so, <laughs> he could play. Uh, he could play uh, Scarsgard. He could be it. <laughs> Put him in the makeup. So and funny. The, yeah. Moving on, this uh, other we got another question from Alec at Alectron three thousand. He wants to know what are the dame's favorite women in Billy Wilder films. It's a very random question, but I love it actually. That's a great question. Well, I think he's gearing up for TCM. I mean, are they playing any Billy Wilder at TCM? Not that I am aware of. Oh, Sunset Boulevard, Sunset Boulevard. Oh my gosh, there you go. yeah, that's horrible. the biggie. I'm horrible. Um, so, so for me, um, I know a lot of people would say Marilyn from um, Some Like It Hot. But maybe it's just because I love the movie so much and it's weird as hell um, and nobody talks about it enough. I'm going to say Ginger Rogers in The Major and the Minor. It's a delightful oh story God, about a grown-ass woman who wants to save on train fare. So she decides to dress up as a like 12-year-old girl and people believe it. It's a very weird movie, but it's, it's delightful. It's so weird and disturbing. But it's awesome. Oh my god. Oh no, the weird sexual tension between her and, uh, what's his name, Ray Milan. Ray Milan, just, I yeah. Can't, I can't. Like, I don't even know how I'm supposed to feel about any of that. I love it. I love it. <laughs> it's great. It's great. So, anybody else have other suggestions? I was gonna say Marilyn, actually. I, I think she's wonderful in Some Like It Hot. She's and, you know, so she, good. And she, and there, there's, you, you feel like she's playing the foil, but after a while, you know, she's really empathetic and very mm-hmm. like lovable and sweet and yeah she she gives a great performance and you know we so underrate Marilyn Monroe's acting ability and her and her ability at comedy she's very funny uh, and she's just so wonderful in that film like I love her in that I mean I'd have to throw out I mean I have two that come to mind I mean the easy answer of Norma Desmond I mean Gloria Swanson it, her scene chewingly awesomeness and then uh, throw out a rare one um, one two three um, 1960 film the James Cagney's wife in the film played by Arlene Francis who is just she does such a great performance with the dialogue and keeps up with Cagney and is just fun and really an unsung hero of that movie um i'm gonna admit that i haven't seen enough billy wilder films but i really like audrey hepburn and sabrina oh yes yes (laughs) our favorite suicidal transformation um yes i love that movie that movie is my one of my second my second favorite william holden movie um it's really good so also, also uh, I just want to shout out Shirley MacLaine in the apartment. yes mm-hmm. yes I was just gonna do that same thing. So moving on, uh, we're gonna knock out some trailers really really quickly. Um, so let's get the sequels out of the way. Um, Equalizer two. Do we have thoughts? I didn't see Equalizer um, one. 
I just want to say that this is the first sequel Denzel Washington has ever done wow. in his entire career. It might be the exactly. last sequel he's ever done if it doesn't make any money. Well, the first one did okay and was not great, but still, like, kind of weirdly watchable. And I feel like this one's going to be more of the same. So... That's all I want. Yeah, I have no, I have no, uh, I didn't see the first one. I have no connection to the TV show. It's a remake of a TV show. It is. And, yeah. Oh, this one has Pedro Pascal in it. Okay. Well, it might have. I I haven't seen the first one, and I missed that there was a trailer for number two, so. (laughs) Sorry, I just threw it on there. It comes out July 20th, in case you are interested in uh, going in blind. And Deadpool 2. Um, I, I've stopped watching trailers for this movie, so... (laughs) I, I didn't know there was another one. It seems like there's a lot of trailers for this. Yeah, they put out a final trailer, supposedly, because there's, like, one more month until the movie comes out. The only reason I threw this on the list to talk about was the fact that they put T.J. Miller even more front and center in this trailer than they have that, in the other ones. That's oh, what I was going to say. Why did the they up the T.J. Miller? They are trolling us, guys. They I are. I really think they are. What I'm desperately hoping is that they keep putting him front and center in all this marketing and then we watch the movie and they have swapped him out <laughs> like I, I think that would be the best thing that ever. would be a great but thing I think that's way too much but i don't <laughs> yeah i don't think they're gonna do that no i mean even if they just digitally put it you know if you still hear tj miller's voice but christopher Plummer's face is just on there <laughs> just like like somebody cut him out and put him on there that's all i need mm-hmm. yep i'm i'm going to see this movie i'm contractually bound to go see anything that has josh brolin in it um do not (laughs) at me i know it's a problem okay but i'm going i'm going i'm probably gonna hate myself for it afterwards um as i usually do so yeah that one-liners got me that that line about you know i forget what it is now but he says something about thanos i'm like okay okay you guys got me and then the dc universe i'm i'll be there and i'll i'm sure i'll enjoy it I was just so exhausted watching the first one because I was just like, just shut up for five seconds. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's Deadpool. <laughs> yeah. I remember really liking the first one. I own the first one and I don't think I've watched the first one since I bought it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what that I mean, means. It's still in the wrapper. Um, no, it's I not enjoyed... still in the wrapper. No. I use, I use the HD code. <laughs> oh, I think well. the comic books are absolutely fascinating. There, there was an issue with the comic book that always stuck with me where the character is arguing with the the artist and how they set it up I've just that's always won me over and I just I love that strategy so the how meta it gets cracks me the hell up well that comes out May 17th so we have a couple more weeks uh to wait for it uh moving on to some new trailers um I threw this one on because I really wanted to mention it last time um Generation Wealth it's the new documentary from the um director who did Queen of Versailles I don't know if anybody else saw that documentary um if you have it go watch it i think it was on it was on netflix for a long time um lauren greenfield um but it is the most disturbing documentary about wealth um she's making another one that looks at this i guess like mental state that we currently have where where we feel the need to be wealthy and what that means um i just thought it was really fascinating especially considering our current politics (laughs) Yeah, this this looks interesting, uh, and very very as you say, very topical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that comes out July twentieth. 
I, I hope it's just as good. Again, Queen of Versailles. Go watch it. It's really, really awesome. Um, so I'm going to make Karen wait for this last one. Um, <laughs> I was hoping you'd save the best for last. <laughs> uh, so next is uh, Blind Spotting. Um, this one was at South by Southwest, right? It actually premiered at Sundance. 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 One of the S ones. Um, one of the, I was going to say, um, this one is from Carlos Lopez Estrada. It's uh, got David Diggs. And it follows uh, two... And Rafael Casal. Rafael Casal, um, who are best friends. Um, one is on parole and witnesses a police shooting of an unarmed black man. Um, I heard really great things about this movie when it came out. Um, Karen, you saw it. So what do you, should we be excited? Um, yes. I think this is a movie that... I mean, in my review that I wrote about it, um, I, I wasn't really sure where to put it because... It does suffer from a little bit of, like... I mean, you're going to feel a little bit of, like, whiplash watching it because it goes from really funny. And we're talking, like, there are moments that are genuinely laugh-out-loud, hilariously funny. And then it goes into these, like, super dramatic parts and it's, like, the tone just... The tones just don't go together at all. So it's it's very weirdly balanced or not as balanced as it should be. But still a really good film. And I think that, that you definitely should watch it. And I think, Kristen, you're going to love it. So I love David Diggs. I love him so much. He is so, so great. And he's so good in this. So, so. I'm excited. Um, there's no release date for it right now. But I'm hoping that that changes. Because it, I thought it looked really, really good. Um, I thought they had one finally. Yeah, IMDb doesn't there, have one listed. IMDb is showing a limited release of July 20th. Okay, yeah. so there's there's that. Um, does David Diggs sing? Oh, he raps. <gasps> Yay! I'm going to be so happy! And it's pretty freaking awesome, because you're just like, whoa, what? What is happening? This is amazing. I, I'm ready. <laughs> um, so the last one we have is Hotel Artemis, which I thought was connected to the John Wick universe. Turns out it's not. <laughs> It should so be. I say that it's it's inspired by the John Wick universe. Um, it's written and directed by Drew Pierce. I thought that meant something, and then I looked at his IMDb, and it doesn't. So, again, white guy's failing upward. Um, but it's uh, set in a futuristic part of uh, Los Angeles where uh, a group of bank robbers uh, end up going to a members-only ER for criminals led by Jodie Foster. Um got Sophia Botella, Dave Batista, and Karen and Lauren's favorite men of all time, Jeff Goldblum and Sterling K. Brown. Um, talk Yay! amongst yourselves about how excited y'all are for this movie. Gosh, I don't even care if this movie is the worst movie ever made. I am going to love it. It just looks so ridiculous and fun, and I cannot wait. It's as soon so- as I saw Sterling K. Brown, I was like, oh, I know now why I have why this was picked and then i saw jeff goldblum and i was like are they working together in in unison for on this agenda um yeah so i mean it looks fun it looks fun lauren Um, has thoughts too lauren i I was just gonna say no it does it does look fun yes it looks like basically a hospital version of of john wick i i hope that this film is really good and that then them and john wick do like a crossover and there's like be amazing. all kinds of crazy <laughs> shit that goes on you know i just i would absolutely love that but yeah of course i mean i i actually do like sterling k brown i'm not in, in love with him but i he's a good actor and it's it's nice to see him actually leading a film 
Um, You're not in love with him because he hasn't kissed your face yet. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Okay, obviously not. Uh, but yeah, Jeff Goldblum is going to be there, and he's going to be all Jeff Goldblumy, and you know, I you can't you can't argue with it. it. It actually does look like fun. It really does. I can't. I can I can get over how this came out of nowhere. I I yeah. heard nothing about it, and with that cast is insane, and to have it just you know it suddenly one day everybody was talking about it i had people facebook messaging me that trailer to see Mm -hmm. yeah it really did it just came out of nowhere and like i mean i cover news for a word circuit and i had no this was not on my radar at all i i've never seen john wick um any of them (gasps) you you were missing out no i i know (laughs) the plot of the first i enjoy the hell out of that movie i love animals too much and i i don't think i could get through the first like what is it 15 20 minutes i didn't think i would either and it happens you get it done and then you enjoy the rest of the headshotty goodness i feel it happens off screen Yes, it yeah, is off screen. I feel like I paid my dues, though, because I got sold a movie with Oscar Isaac from back in his career that was described to me as stupid John Wick, and oh, holy shit, is it? So I feel like I've already got the movie, only the stupid, no, sweet version. Good, good John Wick. Yeah, so. it's so good, and the second one's great, too. But it didn't yeah. have, but it doesn't have Oscar Isaac's stupid face in it. His stupid beautiful no. face. Um, it so has Keanu Reeves' stupid face. Yeah, in exactly. It. <laughs> exactly. It's Keanu Reeves finally fulfilling his his destiny to play this yes. character. This is this is <laughs> the character. Everything has been building to this. It has. <laughs> yep. Oh my god. Okay. Um, I I love you all, but you will um kindly take the fact that you also recommended I watch Zoolander and said I was missing out. So, um, I think I'm just gonna well, hold this John Wick thing yeah, in my back pocket. Yeah, you need to watch that again. Oh my god, no I'm not. <laughs> Gotta watch it like three more times, and then you will understand. So. I, no, I will just yep. become so numb to shit that I will just be like, I don't even care anymore. Again, <laughs> oh, why anyway. do you hate Joy? Why? <laughs> Hotel <laughs> Artemis comes out June 8th, um, so... We might have uh, some some gold bloomy goodness for you um, around that time. Yeah. Just thrill with Chris, that Kristen out there. Kristen bashing Zoolander, bashing Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. She truly does hate you. Oh my yeah. god! I was not, I've never bashed Goldblum. I just don't get <laughs> the love. I just for don't him. get it. There's something. No. Why do you hate men? You hate men so much. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So moving on uh, to our last section. Um, nothing good came out. Well, good stuff came out, just not where I lived. So, we're doing another um, what we've been watching um, this week. So, I'm going to let the good stuff go first. So, um, Lauren, you saw Miseducation of Cameron Post. Yes, I did. I got to see it at Tribeca Film Festival. It's, it, uh, premiered, it premiered originally at Sundance. It won the Grand Jury Prize um, at it Sundance. Did, yes. Yeah. So, has anyone else seen it? No, not yet. I was supposed to see it at Sundance, and I wasn't able to get okay. there. It's... I could, and I could not get into any screenings of it. it and is... I was in Sacramento, where I live, so I wasn't even near it. It's it's very good. <laughs> I went to the I went to the press screening this week. I think that the the film actually comes out on or shows shows at Tribeca on Sunday. Um, so the Miseducation of Cameron Post is about Cameron, who is played by Chloe Grace Moretz, who has really is really turning into a great actress. Um, who is shipped off to a camp called God's Promise 
after she's caught having sex with another girl on prom night. Um, so she's sent to this, basically, a camp. This is, the, this is set in the early 90s, so it's, she's sent to, basically, conversion therapy, a camp that specializes in conversion therapy. Um, and she meets a whole bunch of other teenagers that she begins to develop friends, friendships with, and meanwhile, they're being given, big quotation marks, therapy, by Dr. Lydia Marsh and her brother, Reverend Rick, who is himself a, quote, converted gay. Uh, and one of the things that I really liked about this film that I, I wasn't certain what to expect from going in, because it's a very dark subject matter to begin with. Um, but one of the things I really liked about it is that there's a lot of humor in it. It's very much about these, these kids dealing with what they have been pushed into, and there's a whole variety of reactions among these different kids. Um, some think that they are truly sick and that they need help and that they need to embrace God's love and all of this other stuff. Some are closer to, to Cameron and some of the people that she becomes friends with, which are that they recognize that this is, this, this is basically false, that they are being forced into... Um, denying a, a large section of themselves in order to conform to uh, to evangelical teachings. It's it makes a great point of actually giving, you know, providing sympathy for everybody, even like the so the character of Reverend Rick, who is this um, who's this guy who is basically shoved through conversion therapy by his own sister and comes out the other side and is like, oh, I'm cured. I'm not gay anymore. Um, but he is actually suffering a great deal, and he's an incredibly sympathetic character and an interesting character that shows the depths of this, um, uh, of the, the depths of the twisting of scripture and the twisting of, uh, of, of even this, this concept of love, because the whole idea that they're being pushed through is that, you know, you don't love yourself, you don't, you're not accepting um, the love of other people, and that's why you have this wrong attraction to the opposite sex. That's why there's something wrong with you, and and you can be cured of it. And this this whole attitude is so intrinsic to so much evangelical teachings, and at the same time is so damaging. And it's wonderful to watch these great young actors um, developing very interesting characters that push through this that have different reactions to it and that um, actually, you know, wind up being able to find their their own truth uh, in in a way that, I, that the adults around them really don't expect. So it's an excellent film. Chloe Grace Moretz is great. And um, and yeah, I, I, I had a great time with it. It was actually very well done. I'm, I'm, so I'm very excited to see it. I'm yeah. looking at that. I'm looking at that cast list, and I had somehow missed John Gallagher Jr. was in that, who I yeah. absolutely love. He's, He's very good. He is amazing in everything he does. I'm looking forward to seeing that. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens toward the end of the year, like especially when we get into awards time, because there's another film coming out called Boy Erased, which is about a similar um, subject matter. But that one has Lucas Hedges as the kid who's forced to go into gay conversion. And it's directed program. by Joel Edgerton, right? It is, yeah. hmm. who I don't have a ton of faith in. But that also stars Nicole Kidman, and Joel Edgerton is also in it. And so it's really interesting. It's going to be interesting to see if either of these films get traction. And the problem is that they're both going to be pitted against each other because they're similar topics, even though they're probably going to be very different films. Yeah. 
I would imagine. And one's about a boy and one's about a girl. So and one, and yeah, it's going to yeah. get more of a play. And Miseducation of Cameron Post is also directed by a woman. Yeah, Desiree uh, Akhavan, who, um, if you haven't seen her in Creep 2, you should. She's really good in it. Um, it's got Sasha Lane, who I love Sasha Lane. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Um, so she, I, I loved her in Hearts Beat Loud. She is amazing in that. I'm guessing this won't play well next to But I'm a Cheerleader. It's a bit too peppy. <laughs> Um, yeah. So, Miss Education Camp Post comes out for the rest of us August 10th. Um, Karen, what have you been watching this week? Uh, I was really trying to decide. I've seen a bunch of things lately, but there are a couple things I'm not... I'm not exactly embargoed on, but they've asked us to hold off on stuff. So, I will talk about Disobedience and Tully very soon. But, um, this week I saw a documentary called The Heart of Nuba. I was actually preparing to interview the director and we had an awesome conversation he was a really fun person to talk to um but the film is about a doctor who is an american doctor and is living in sudan has been living in sudan for about 20 years in the nuba mountains and he is the only doctor for several hundred miles up there and he's running the mother of mercy hospital and he is now training other people in the region who can't get out and go to, you know, official medical schools and medical training, but he's teaching them how to take care of a lot of things and help each other so that they can sustain this hospital. But the, the documentary just really just shows all the work that he's doing and how loved this, this American doctor is. And everyone just knows him as Dr. Tom. And, uh, it's just a, it's just a really good film that really just shows how one person who cares can just make such a huge difference in the world. And uh, it was really interesting because when I was talking to Ken Carlson, the director, um, he was saying that they had managed to get the film to Omar al-Bashir, who is the leader of Sudan, who has, like, they've been trying to get this guy arrested for war crimes for, for years. And they managed to get the film to him. And after all this work that's been done by Amnesty International and all these other groups all coming together, now there's officially a ceasefire. But this town that Dr. Tom has been working in for all these years, they're, they've up until just very recently, they've been just carpet bombed constantly. They have in the film, it shows that they have like these trenches dug and it shows these little kids are like three and four years old. As soon as they see the planes coming, they know that they need to just dive underground and get undercover so that they can't get killed by these bombs. And I mean, it's horrifying conditions that these people have been living in. And it's amazing that, um, because now some of this is coming to light now, finally there's some change that's happening. So it's uh it's in limit very limited release they're rolling it out it's in like one or two theaters in new york one theater in la but then over the next month or so they've got it rolling out to some other cities in texas and arizona and around the country so if you get a chance to find it i know it'll be streaming sometime soon but um it's it's a really good one i liked it and kim you saw chappaquiddick I did. I was supposed to see the movie you will be looking at, but life ended up happening. And I ended up you saved yourself a lot of <laughs> trouble. So I, I took myself to see Chappaquiddick yesterday and paid my own money and everything. And I, I was 
pleased. I know it's, and Kristen, I know you've seen it as well, and we had some discussions. I was really worried walking into it. This has been making the film circuit, the film festival circuit for a while, and finally it's, it's in a fairly small release. The film follows the note the incidents in 1969 surrounding Ted Kennedy, the car crash that killed a campaign secretary, Mary Jo Kopechny, and kind of what happened after that. Uh, the film is directed by John, is it Curran? Curran? Yeah, I'm, I think it's John Curran. Curran. And then it looks like a couple of first-time writers, Taylor Allen and Andrew Logan. I was really pleased um, walking into it, just in terms of you never know what you're going to get, especially with historical films like this and then surrounding, you know, the Kennedys and things that you just, you don't know. These events haven't been solidified. We don't know what happened. And there's a lot of question marks. And it took a more, it didn't exonerate in terms of the events. I thought it had a very, it had a darker spin to it. It had potentially a more realistic spin, a more, you know, at least more going through. There was more of an eye for the victim. And I thought, I mean, watching through the events, the standout for me was definitely Ed Helms, who I have I mean, he's he's fine in everything he does, but I thought he had a hell of a performance. He's a Kennedy, essentially a Kennedy cousin who becomes involved with the events, and I believe he's Ted's lawyer, and just was absolutely amazing in it. He, for me, was kind of the emotional, you know, background of the story and just had probably one of the best performances of his career in my mind. And then I am normally not a huge fan of Jason Clark, but I completely lost him in that Ted Kennedy portrayal. Um, such, I mean, I've been kind of a sucker for politics, so I've, you know, seen so much Ted Kennedy, and I completely lost the actor underneath. I thought it felt, it felt like a very solid performance. It felt like a very nuanced performance. Um, yeah, I saw this uh, a couple weeks ago, and... Um... It's a, a crime that I think a lot of people forget. It's part of the Kennedy curse, but I don't think people really remember it, mostly because Ted Kennedy lived into old age um, he, and became... Well, and he survived it. His career survived Right, right. His career, I mean, he became a, a hugely respectful senator. Um, and so it's almost funny when he says, like, this career is going to ruin my, my chances at being president. That's really all it did. Um, I mean, he was still in government for several decades after. Um, he was in the Senate until he died, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Um, I did yeah. like Ed Helms a lot. I thought it was a really great turn of character for him. So if he decides to do drama, I think he, he'd be I think he could do well it. suited. Um, but my issue with this movie was kind of the same issue I, I have with the case in general. It does a great job of showing how Ted Kennedy really milked his privilege and the system to get a, a less uh, in, incisive investigation and how he got people back on his side but it really loses sight of the victim uh, mm -hmm. uh, Kate Mara is only in it for about 15 minutes and then she's gone and the movie does this really stupid thing of like flashing back and you're not sure if it's supposed to be how he remembers it or if it's what really happened um, it, it kind of pulls his punches it doesn't want to say he was more complicit in it than he might have been so it just kind of gives you these like 
well, we're going to give you all these versions and then you can decide what you want. And sometimes that works. But in this movie, I was like, it seems like they were kind of treating it with kid gloves. Um, I think it's, see, a, it's a decent Cliff's Notes version, I think. See, I thought it, that was interesting because there, I mean, there were some real quick moments there where it just felt like they were hinting strongly because I think it's right after they pull her body out of the water. Somebody talks about, oh, they're, they're talking about, oh, she drowned. And somebody goes, uh, no, no, they're, you know, she could have been strangled or this suffocation and how she was holding herself up. I was honestly just impressed that they cut back to the car the way they did. It's, I mean, maybe it's, I could have, I could understand the script being tricky, especially with so many I mean, his chil- all of his children, just how big the Kennedy clan still is. But, yeah, no, I completely agree. There were some punches there that could have landed harder. It's it's decent. It's it's not a terrible movie. It's um, A movie that, yeah, I'll end with uh, the big release this week, which is I Feel Pretty, the Amy Schumer movie. Um, we've talked uh, on the podcast before about how we thought I Feel Pretty was going to be awful. And newsflash! It's actually awful. Um, I was leaning over to my mother at a certain point and I started laughing. And she's like, you find this funny? I'm like, no, I'm actually laughing about the fact that I would rather take Justin Thoreau playing a pedophile right now and find that more entertaining than what the fuck I'm watching. Um, Yeah, Mute Mute was actually better than this movie. I have no idea how that happened. I have no... Actually, I do know how that happened because this movie is direct. Um, so the movie follows, uh, uh, the character of Renee, played by Amy Schumer, who, um, constantly complains about how ugly she is and unattractive, and if the movie does, if you don't believe that coming out of her mouth, the movie's gonna make you believe it. There's literally a scene where her and her friends, which one of them is A.D. Bryant, who I could have bought this movie's premise had she been the lead, and, um, Busy Phillips just with some lank brown hair and a spray tan to make you see how unattractive she is, um... There's actually a scene where they look at their their dating profile and a buzzer sounds to emphasize that no one's looked at it. A fucking buzzer. Um, Because they're so... Amy Schumer's character literally works in a basement. Okay, so this version of New York is where people are either glamazons or they're the Phantom of the Opera. Okay. (laughs) So she hits her head during Soul Cycle, which apparently is the only place in New York where black women work. Yeah, black women ah. in this movie either work at Soul Cycle, they work in shops, or they are just kind of like second banana. I'm sorry, Naomi Campbell should be running a makeup <laughs> company, not deferring to Robot Barbie, played by Michelle Williams. Um, so she hits her head, she wakes up, and she believes, kind of like Shallow Hal, that she is the most beautiful woman in the world. We don't see what she sees, so everybody is just like gasping in horror at like how dare this woman think she's hot oh my god children cover your eyes um so nobody feels that at best she has a head injury at worst she's mentally ill nobody thinks to think about that at all um and so she decides that she's gonna flaunt how hot she is and she's gonna fail upward and become this receptionist at a makeup company and because she looks so ugly and grotesque, um, the beautiful women there think that her ideas are new and revolutionary and unique because they're not. Um, I don't know. This whole movie is awful. It is so fucking awful. A, it screams of white feminism. 
screams it practically. Um, if one of those Soul Cycle women had come into this ma makeup uh, company and was like, "I think you should use real women in your ad campaign," they'd have kicked they'd have kicked that bitch down the stairs. I mean, no, they wouldn't have. Amy Schumer gets in because she's white. I mean, really, that's that's my big conceit. Um, the movie's message is. Pretty people have problems too, but they're not nearly as bad as yours if you're so unattractive. Um, and Amy Schumer really, I'm starting to think, can't play anybody that's not Amy Schumer. Um, Trainwreck, I liked because it was Amy Schumer playing herself as, as a woman who acknowledged that she wasn't conventionally attractive but was still able to function in society um this when she has to play a character she doesn't sound confident saying any of the dialogue um you know she's she's listing lines that just sound like she's reading them when she has to get emotional it's over the top and she just scrunches up her face and hopes to god that she can cry and no tears come um michelle williams everybody says they like her in this movie i did not get the breathy marilyn monroe-esque voice she's got going on um, she, she looks like her face is like literally, she's literally glazed over half the scenes. I'm thinking contemplating how she can fire her agent after this is over. Um, and the love interests I think are literally selected so that audiences will feel that Amy Schumer can pull down both a regular guy and a dude that's ridiculously good looking. Um, I hated this movie. I absolutely fucking hated this movie and it has the temerity to be two hours um it's all about that base essentially in terms of its feminism in terms of what it's preaching um it's awful it is fucking awful i looked at my mother at a certain point and said you know what no this is too good for justin thoreau like it's too shitty he would know this is shitty okay and if he knows it's shitty then it's bad okay it's absolutely fucking terrible um I would have watched Mute again. I would have. And you know, if I'm saying that, there is a problem because I didn't think anything could be worse than that movie, but it's this movie. So you let me down, Shum. You let me down. And I actually think I hate you now. So yeah, don't go see I Feel Pretty because you will feel pretty fucking terrible about yourself and humanity and Hollywood for thinking that this was good. Um, I will say that the white women who were drunk behind us loved it. So, I don't know, maybe if you show up intoxicated, you'll enjoy it. But I, I highly doubt it. Highly doubt it. So, oh my god, I'm so happy to get that off my chest. <laughs> <laughs> but how did you feel about the movie? So, so Kristen liked uh, it. Really. Um, she highly recommends it. <laughs> I... I, I would recommend maybe like getting hit by a car first on your way to the theater to go see it. <laughs> I am always amazed at these movies that like posit a New York in which there are no people of color. Yeah, because, I was sitting there. Right. No, no, no. This movie does something weird. It feels like Amy Schumer knows people are going to give her shit about that. So she litters the frame with people of color. Like they are, there are people of color all over the frames of this movie. But they never actually interact with her. And when they do, it's always in a subservient position. I mean, I don't know the actual demographics of this wonderful city that I live in, but I will say a lot of the time I am the only white person on the subway car. So, or in, like, the cafe or any place like that. So I don't, I don't know what world these people live in. And I will tell you, this is also a world where Amy Schumer goes into a clothing store and the women cannot control their bile 
Like, they literally want to throw up at how disgusting she is. And when they're like, they literally tell her at one point, like, um, yeah, you should go shop online. Like, you're so horribly ugly. We don't even cater to you. I was like, I'm sorry, do people not get fired in this world? This is a world, apparently, where men are, like, racing for the door, clawing over each other to get away from how fat and garish she is when she's, like, gyrating in a bikini contest. It's like watching a horror movie where Amy Schumer is supposed to be the monster. It's just, it's so horrifically tone deaf. For looking normal. Yes, yes. Yeah, for looking like, like... 75% 75% of this country. Yes. Yeah. Where are these reviews getting body positivity at all? Men. <laughs> Men. They were paid by Marvel to write positive reviews. <laughs> yes. And my, my whole my whole thinking, I looked at, to, to go like with um, Karen's whole, how did they plow the, the fields in a quiet place? I looked at my mom and I was all, if her body is so toned, she's not looking at the fact that she never went and bought new clothes because she's supposedly lost she thinks in her mind she is thin but yet she never bought new clothes and she never looked at why the sizes of her clothes are the same size this movie is stupid is what i'm saying (laughs) i was like really come on um yeah and it, it has it has the balls to have both naomi campbell and lauren hutton as like just Aww. cameos i was like no a these women are still gorgeous and why are they not running the world because i'm pretty sure they would <sighs> oh totally. fuck this movie I, I am looking at the filmographies we have first time directors again yeah they wrote never been kissed which i like never been kissed um i like that but then they also wrote how to be single and i was like oh so they are just naturally terrible um the vow yeah oh my god dr channing tatum Oh, God. Okay, so they only know white people problems. They do. And they really like head injuries. (laughs) Valentine's Day. These people are pro in white people movies. Oh, God, it's all so white. So white. Um, So, yeah, Amy Schumer, um, I would not quit her Comedy Central show, but it seems like she has, so. Um, Because between this and Snatched last year, or the year before, whenever the fuck that piece of shit came out, um she can't she can't do anything that's not her and you know that's fine some people can't be anyone other than themselves army hammer okay but we don't need them (laughs) to go off you don't see army hammer making a movie where like oh my god i'm so unattractive no okay because we all know we all know so watch final portrait where he just sits there and looks exactly movies actually say you know what no this man is too beautiful we're just gonna make a movie where we applaud that okay so you cannot (laughs) cannot say you are so grossly unattractive unless you are like i I don't know i i don't know you can't be she she acts like she's like lon chaney's phantom of the opera when she's really more like gerard butler's phantom of the opera yes (laughs) (laughs) so that is my review in a nutshell don't go see i i feel pretty go see any of the other movies we've mentioned or just anything else or if you really feel the need to open a vein just go on netflix and watch new because it's free <laughs> a quiet place is still in theaters yes everybody. yes infinity war comes go out on on thursday you can wait go see something i'm assuming infinity war is better than this i mean i don't care they're, but they're dumping this here so it gets quickly overshadowed by <laughs> infinity war I, they wanted I to hope. get their weekend in the sun okay well speaking of what do we all have on tap for this uh this week um i know i go see infinity war on wednesday and then Kim and I Tuesday. are uh, 
Oh, what? You're going today? Oh, I'm seeing it Tuesday. Tuesday. Infinity War. I'm seeing it Tuesday. Okay. Screw both of you. I gotta go see it Wednesday. <laughs> um, but, and then Kim and I are uh, winging it down to LA because we're gonna be covering the TCM Classic Film Festival. Yay! In fact, programming note, we will be taking next week off because they will be at that festival. Lauren will be at Tribeca and yep. I will be at Newport Beach Film Festival. So. so we will have hopefully a lot of really fun stories for you when we come back. Um, Follow us all on social media if you, if you miss If us. I have not been arrested for sexually harassing certain people at TCM. Oh, um, well, as you know, <laughs> sexual harassment is not a crime, Kristen. Not if they're cool with it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just saying. Just throwing that out there. Uh, um, I'm sure men have used that as an excuse in the past. <laughs> I mean, is Army Hammer in town, too? Like, I might have to check someone's Instagram. Like, is Justin Thoreau at Coachella? I mean, who knows who's in I town? Would, I would help you with that stalking, just FYI. We would, yeah. Me and, me and, uh, me and Kim are going to be like uh, Mary-Kate Nashley sleuths, okay, with our trench coats <laughs> and our magnifying glass. <laughs> So yeah, um, that's going to close out this edition of uh, Citizen Dame. You can find us uh, all sorts of places. You can listen to the podcast uh, directly at citizendame.podbean.com or on iTunes. If you are listening on iTunes, help the podcast out with uh, rating. Um, you can also listen to us now on Spotify. You might be listening to us right now on Spotify. Um, you can also check out our regular uh, website, uh, citizendamepod.com. We do all sorts of written content, including our Citizen Dame 5. This week, in honor of Infinity Wars, we're going to talk about our favorite Marvel movie lines. I'm assuming it's just going to be me quoting Michael B. Jordan and Black Panther, because um, those movies have lines. I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, every, so, yeah. every Jeff Goldblum line in, in Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> Exactly. Um, but well, this will be much more diverse. <laughs> <laughs> we also have reviews. I'm going to be reviewing uh, Mercury 13, the new Netflix documentary. Kim has her Feminist Fridays. Um, so we got a lot of good stuff on the podcast. Um, we also have a lot of bonus content that you can listen to uh, and see on Patreon. Um, we, you can still listen to our March Madness Ultimate Boyfriends bracket. My original review of Mute, which is over a thousand words, is on there as well. Um, we also have um, some, some stuff we got planned for the future. Um, I don't know if we want to share some ideas, but we have been talking about it. So yeah, um, you can check that out at patreon.com slash citizendame. Consider helping us out um, and fueling our desire for all sorts of weird shit. So, anything else I need to promote? No? I think, I think we're good. I don't think so. I think we're good. Um, so, yeah, remember next week, no new episode. Um, so, that just gives you time to come up with questions, comments, um, weird games Subscribe that you want to play. Subscribe and listen to our bonus episode. Yes, yes. Um, so, yeah, we'll be back uh, in two weeks. Uh, you can visit us on our individual Twitters. Uh, keep, keep up on what's going on with us. I am at journeys underscore film. Karen, where are you? I am at Karen M. Peterson. Lauren? At LH Business. Kim? At KPair624. So that's going to close things out. We are the Citizen Dames, and we will talk to you all again in two weeks. Bye. I'm sorry it didn't go the way you wanted to. I mean, it was awesome. Yeah, no, it didn't. Yeah. It went way better. What? <laughs> we each get two free drinks and an appetizer. 
That's what I was hoping. On the house. What are the parting gifts? <laughs> I was looking at the coconut shrimp because I didn't get oh. any hot dog. You snooze, you lose your hot dog. You're really not upset? No, not really. I mean, <sighs> these things are so, like political. Yeah. I won't get into all of it, mostly because I, I have no information, but. No, I can see I a just... place like this running kind of a shady. Yeah, I feel like I did win. The crowd was going crazy. And you know what? I know I look good. I don't need some like room of drunk guys to confirm that. Can I be you when I grow up? <laughs>